Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is Bill Conley from ESPN, the mastermind behind the SP Plus projection and ranking system. We'll take an early look, way too early, if you will, toward the 2021 season with Bill as he has released his first projections. We'll do a game I like to call humans versus math. I took four prominent way too early human top 25s and came up with a human consensus. We'll compare that to SP plus and Bill and I will analyze the teams the numbers like more than the humans and what teams humans are buying in on that the numbers are not so optimistic about. We'll cover about a dozen teams from Miami and Notre Dame to UCLA and Indiana. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcast, just about anywhere you like to get your podcast. If you like what you hear, give us a good review and rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. If you'd like to email the show, send questions and comments to AP Top 25 Mailbag, AP Top 25 Mailbag at gmail.com. I think we're going to dive into that for the first time in next week's episode. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast is my friend, recurring guest, uh, Bill Conley from ESPN. He is the mastermind behind. S&P Plus rankings uh, projection system that uh, if you have listened to this show, you probably know Bill and you know the system because I refer to it a lot. Thank you very much, Bill, for joining me this week to uh, talk about, well, I think it was two weeks ago you revealed the preseason S&P Plus, right? Correct. Uh, well, yeah, something, something in the neighborhood earlier in February. Gotcha. So we're going to go through that. There were no huge surprises at the top but one of the things we i kind of did this last year with you bill and i and i this year i i I decided i liked it so much i put an even more i put a little more effort into it to do it better and what we're gonna do is take sp plus take the human way too early polls and sort of compare where humans and the numbers differ because i think that that and talk about those teams so just for the listeners and Bill's edification. I took the ESPN uh, way too early rankings, the athletics way too early rankings, USA Today's and CBS's. Now, there are others out there. Those all, all those others are fine and reputable places, I'm sure. But I just decided to take these four. Um, came up with a composite ranking of those four and just so Bill has a good idea of where I'm coming at and the audience too, here's what the composite human way too early rankings look like. Bama one, Clemson two, Oklahoma three, Georgia four, Ohio State five, Iowa State six, AM seven, North Carolina eight, excuse me, excuse me, Cincinnati eight, North Carolina nine, Notre Dame 10, Indiana 11, LSU 12, Florida 13, tied with Oregon. 15 is Iowa. 16 is Texas. 17 is Wisconsin. 18, USC. 19, Miami. 20, everybody's favorite Chanticleers, Coastal Carolina. 21, Penn State. 
22, Washington, 23, Old Miss, 24, Liberty, 25, Oklahoma State. Um, I'm not going to necessarily list off the top 25 in the SP Plus, but I did want to start with this, Bill, and we're going to get into the places where the humans and SP plus differ, but I did want to ask this. I was a little, just a little bit surprised that Alabama was number one in SP plus because they had lost so much production. Did it surprise you at all when you're crunching your numbers? Uh, They finished 2020 so far ahead of the field that (laughs) the only way they weren't going to start off number one was if they lost like 21 starters um, I, I mean, that was that was pretty much it. They were, I think, between seven and eight points. My SP Plus is designed to be kind of an adjusted points per game figure where it just kind of compares you how, how many points per game are you ahead of or behind the 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 average football team. And so uh, at the end of last year, as I quickly try to pull this up uh, without wasting too much time, uh, at the end of last year, Alabama's rating was 35.6 plus 35.6 so 35 and a half points ahead of the average college football team in uh in 2020 the number 2 team was Ohio State uh Ohio State was at 28.2 so they were a touchdown and a half ahead of everybody else in the field so i mean at that point yeah you're pretty much guaranteed to start the next season number 1 unless you learn you lose like just every single starter and Alabama lost a lot they always lose a lot they didn't lose that much Right. So just in SP plus, uh, three components for the preseason, um, returning production, not returning starters, but returning production, um, recent results. Uh, so as Bill said, last year's results were so good that that gave Alabama a big bounce and also recent recruiting results, which is also a place where Alabama will yeah. score quite well. So, okay, so we're again, we're not particularly shocked that Alabama is number one, that Clemson's number two, that Oklahoma is number three. But it is interesting, to, again, to sort of find the places where, and I think maybe if you're the type of, and I'm not the type of person who's maybe a betting person, uh, maybe you can find some odds, uh, some decent odds and maybe um, short selling or, or buying in on some teams that where the numbers are, are more optimistic or the numbers are less optimistic than the humans because often human opinion will drive some of those odds. Um, though the numbers sort of go into those two. Let's start with places where SP plus is more optimistic than the humans. And the number one here is one that I know people will probably be like, oh, come on, Bill, are you really going to buy into them again? You have Miami is number eight in SP+. Yeah. Plus. That's 11 spots higher than the humans have them. Again, in this random selection of way too early polls. Uh, Bill, defend yourself on the Canes being back. <laughs> well, it's, I, I don't have to defend myself. It's, I, you know, I'm not saying <laughs> right. it. Um, but you know, it, it's it's pretty easy to explain at the very least. Um, that, you know, whether you believe it or not is up to you, but it's at least easy to explain. The first part is, uh, you know, last year they really, I mean, they were still they didn't finish the year well, but they still finished twentieth in SP plus. They were, I think, fourteenth after they pummeled Duke, and then they fell, you know, a few spots after the um, you know the North Carolina loss. They just ran out of steam at the end of the year. They clearly weren't the same team, and then Deion King gets hurt in the bowl game, so they end up twentieth. But the the most interesting offseason storyline this year is the fact that everybody returns so much more production than normal. The super seniors, so to speak, 
Mm-hmm. You know, normally, you know, my return in production equation is is based around it gives extra weight to the positions that seem to have the most impact on your next year's improvement or regression. Um, it is an attempt to kind of move beyond returning starters. And, and I think it's a pretty, you know, people seem to understand the concept pretty easily. Uh, normally, the average national average for returning production is like 62 or 63 percent. Uh, as I get some more uh, G5 rosters updated, I think we just topped 70% on average this year. So everybody's like eight to 10 points, percentage points higher because they're returning more seniors because all the seniors got, you know, a chance at an extra year of eligibility. Uh, and why, whereas normally like the top team in returning production is going to be somewhere around like 86, 88%. Uh, there are three teams over 90% this coming year. Louisiana's at 96 uh, because, among other things, you know, they, they basically only lose a couple of good running backs, and running backs appear to be easier to replace on average. Uh, but then UCLA and Miami are both at 91% for the um, in returning production, which means they're projected to improve by like nine or 10 points each. And so this is going to be a really interesting year just when it comes to like testing the limits of the returning production idea. Like it's great to, you know, return 88%, you're going to improve 91, 96%. You're going to improve, but how much is the curve kind of, this kind of, this, this is more extreme than anything I've dealt with, with returning production. So it could be very well possible that uh, both UCLA and Miami are being overestimated because of what they return, or we'll find out that they're both really good because they're extremely experienced next year. Miami gets Derek King back and pretty much every other impact player outside of uh, the defensive end position, and they always have good defensive ends. So on paper, it seems like it's a pretty rational case to make that they're top 10. It's just, you know, we've seen it before with Miami and and they kind of, they bear the burden of proof at this point. Right. And, and Bill is not his numbers, right? So you are also a college <laughs> football fan who watches college football and, and has some emotion and plus your own thoughts on this too. So yeah, I, I like, you know, I understand you adhere to your numbers, but I'm sure on an emotional level, you see that too and go, well, we've been here before. <laughs> Maybe we haven't been right here before, but we've been in similar places before. So I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like Bill is just a computer who spits out numbers. Bill is also a, a rational human being uh, uh, capable of, of, um, of, of, of free, of free thoughts and making his own opinions. Semi-rational. We'll go with semi-rational. <laughs> At least semi-rational. But, but the interesting thing about the super seniors, and I'm writing a little bit about that this week, and, and you're right, the G5 schools seem to have a lot more, which yeah. kind of makes sense because you have less NFL type players who are going to bounce and, and pursue those professional careers. Um, I, I am interested to see, <clears throat> I've talked about this on this show. <clears throat> Let's <Sarah clears throat> edit that out. <laughs> I've talked about this on this show, how I believe I, I'm looking into next year to find where are the mid, the, the middle class teams, right? In the mm-hmm. power five, especially that there's going to be one or two, I suspect that jump up, make a big jump forward because of this sort of super senior core of players. They're going to be a little more experienced. They're going to have something of a men versus boys, right? If you have a few extra 22 and 23-year-olds playing, that might be enough to boost you and give you a little bit of an edge where uh, a team that would probably have been penciled in for four or five wins gets to seven or eight or six or seven, or a six or seven win team maybe gets a nine or ten. Uh, I, I don't know how that plays out, but I am really interested to see how that plays out. Or, as you're saying, 
does it, because there are so many of these players coming back for so many teams, does it end up sort of leveling the playing field? Right. I'll be interested to see if that happens as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, not only returning production, but the quarterback position in particular, you know, the last year's top three were pretty clearly Alabama, uh, Clemson and Ohio State in some order. But outside of those, like none of those three return their starting quarterbacks. Now, they're all going to be starting blue chippers next year. We already saw Clemson's and I mean, he was rock solid. So I'm not predicting a humongous drop off or anything, but every team below them in the, the Oklahoma, uh, Oregon, Georgia, well, Oregon, I guess has a weird situation now. They just lost mm-hmm. theirs, but all Oregon fans said it was terrible anyway, so it doesn't really count. <laughs> um, but Oklahoma, Georgia, Iowa State, Miami, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Washington, uh, Penn State, Cincinnati, Iowa, USC, Arizona State, they all return their starting quarterbacks next year. Um, and so you know, a lot of times the you know the the level of parity or the 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 number of teams challenging for the title kind of at least partially depends on on who's experienced at the most important quarterback or position on the field. Just about everybody is, except for Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, and so that makes it really interesting. You know, I, I, they're still one, two, and four in the SP Plus projections with Oklahoma with Oklahoma at three, which you know they're as close to a blue blood as it gets outside of those three, I guess. Um, but there are a lot of teams that have a lot that, that a have a lot more experience period, like Iowa state, uh, and B have proven quarterbacks. And I'm just, I'm really, really curious how much of a difference that makes. Yeah. I think, you know, for those of us who are, for, for those fans who are tired of the Alabama Clemson, Ohio state, uh, you know, you throw Oklahoma in there, they've been there a lot that they haven't won it. You know, I do wonder if that does present a little bit of an opportunity to see mm-hmm. some of that monopoly broken up. But my suspicion is those schools <laughs> are recruiting at such a high level, even at that position, that yeah. we might be disappointed if we think that there is a uh, the fans that are looking for a fall off there might be a little disappointed. Yeah, I mean, you could ba- you could make the case that maybe it makes them momentarily vulnerable, like at, at a given point. Maybe like, I mean, I, again, I'm not going to talk myself into Miami too much, but Alabama, Miami at the beginning of the year, Miami really is that experienced and has, you know, if they don't drop off from a pass rush perspective, if theoretically they're going to have a lot to opt to throw at Bryce Young or I guess whoever ends up being the starting quarterback. So maybe that's an area of vulnerability. Their other major game early is at Florida and Florida starting their quarterback too. So that kind of can't washes out. But, you know, if you look at Ohio State's schedule, it's kind of the same deal. They start at Minnesota and at home against Oregon. And you know, maybe uh, there's a moment there where they're not quite uh, in fifth gear yet where they can where somebody can jump up and trip them up. Clemson starts with Georgia, you know, so that's uh, really as as much as we, uh, you know, liked what we saw from Uyagalele, he still starts against Georgia against a top five defense and without Travis Etienne, without last year's top two receivers, three if you include ATN. So maybe there's an opportunity for teams that never lose in the regular season to actually maybe lose once or twice in the regular season. Okay, let me jump to the team that's uh, next here on this list of SP Plus likes more than the humans, and that's Washington. Washington mm-hmm. is 10, 10 spots ahead of the human polls. Um, but I want to talk about Washington in the context of the Pac-12 in general, because after Washington... Oregon's plus nine. Arizona State is plus nine. If I go a little farther down the list, UCLA and Utah are in the top 21, I believe it is, of SP+, but not ranked at all within the human way too early. So clearly, 
maybe this is an interesting year for the Pac-12. Maybe this is a year for the Pac-12 to sort of regain a little of the of the shine that it has been lost. It's been it's been a punching bag over the last couple of years. It hasn't gotten a playoff team in 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 several years. Maybe this is a year to change the fortunes of the Pac-12, whether it be Washington or Oregon. So I want you to touch on Washington, but maybe like talk about the Pac-12 in general. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, and first of all, Oregon, as soon as Shove transferred there, you know, the ratings were finalized, you know, when I released them in early February. But they, if I put them out again, if I updated them tomorrow, Oregon would be closer to like 10th or 11th. So they they kind of fell back toward where the the composite has them. But still, Washington's higher. Oregon's a little bit higher. Arizona State, UCLA, all those teams are higher. The, the main thing, and, and again, this is we're going to find out the limits of, of returning production perhaps this year, because if you look at the returning production rankings that I put out, and this was at the end of January, like I said, it's all, it's never stopping. You know, rosters are getting updated and everything else. But at the end of January, UCLA was second, Washington state was fifth in returning production. Utah was eighth. Oregon was ninth. Arizona state was 11th. Colorado was 12th. Washington was 15th. Like, so I, 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 number one, you know, we're, I'm counting these as returning production, you know, like I would a normal team, but in Washington's case, it's returning production from a four game season. So mm-hmm. that makes it a little weird. We'll see if, if they have, if those four games gave them the quote unquote experience that a 12 game season would. Um, but at the same time, I think because those seasons were so short, Pac 12 teams, like very few teams, very few guys left. They, they, the, you know, the seniors wanted a real senior season and it seems like a higher percentage of them came back in the Pac 12. So. You know, I, I can kind of now, now that Oregon probably isn't actually in the top five, if I were to rerun the projections, I can kind of justify where most of these teams land because, you know, Washington was finished last year 19th. They returned just about everybody. So they're uh, where did they end up? 10th, I guess, or 11th. Uh, now they're 10th if Oregon fell. So. I can kind of justify that. I can definitely justify Utah being a top 20 team. They're a top 20 team most of the time. They actually don't get, a, you know, a ton of returning production credit um, compared to some of these other teams. Uh, although I guess they get Charlie Brewer and so that balances out. But um, they've, they've, they're always a top 20 team or something very close to it. So I can justify that. I can justify Arizona State because their offense should be absolutely dynamite. We already know they've got Jaden Daniels, but then suddenly they had like the best running game in the country with uh, two guys I hadn't even heard of before the season started and uh Rashad White and and the freshman Trianum or, or I don't remember how you say it now but um I, all these teams being projected in or around the top 25 kind of makes sense like I said with UCLA they return almost literally everyone from last year's squad and they were a team that improved last year on paper lost you know all their losses were about like three points or so um they're a team that on paper seems pre- like they could uh, jump up it all makes sense but the, the funny part about this is it, it might be that nobody notices that the pac 12 is better because they still might not have a national title contender because that's the really the silliest possible way to to judge a conference like you know, the SEC has Vanderbilt in South Carolina, but they have Alabama. Therefore, they're the great SEC. Clemson, uh, the ACC has been dramatically mediocre for a while, but they got Clemson. Therefore, they're good. I mean, it's, 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 it's silly. Back 12 has been, has on average graded out better than the ACC for the last few years, but they haven't had a, a Clemson. USC hasn't lived up to its end of the blue blood bargain. Therefore, we don't, uh, 
we, we treat them like they're barely a P5 at all when they are a rock solid conference. Might be the same thing this year. You know, if, if everybody's better, it's going to be really hard to run the table. And therefore, we might not notice that everybody's pretty good because they still won't have a top five team. Yeah, there, there's a very fair argument that you hear, especially coming from the West Coast, when I talk to people about how, how, how the ACC would compare to the Pac-12 if you, mm-hmm. if you took Clemson out of the mix. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it would, it would, it would not fare quite as well. Um, you're right. I think the, the Pac-12 should be, you know, there's still is a matter of, uh, of the Pac-12, you know, should be better and that will make for more, like you could be, you can have the same kind of parity. You can have parity in depth, but if the, t- you can also tell when the teams are, it, it's mediocre parity or <laughs> it's, Hey, these teams are pretty good and they're knocking each other off parity. Yeah. Now, sometimes that will get lost in the records. Cause again, if, if teams are just knocking each other off, the records might not look as good, but I do think the PAC 12 over the last couple of the years, it's, it's not necessarily been a high quality of parity. Um, and I think there's a chance that that could go up this year. I think the quality of the parity within the top tw- within the Pac-12 has a chance to be better this year. Yeah, I, I, yeah, there are definitely. I don't think there's a title contender in this bunch, but Washington could be a, a genuine top ten or twelve caliber team. Oregon could, uh, USC of course could. They always could, but you know, it's been a little. It's been a couple minutes. Um, so at the very least, like we, we put too much stock in non-conference as a whole, but you could see how certain non-conference games. I'm not going to say Ohio State, Oregon. I'm going to assume Ohio State's uh, still superior in that one, but Washington, yeah, especially at, at the shoe. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but Washington. At at Michigan in week two, that's enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, we, we won't know for, well, there's a lot we probably won't know at that point about Michigan, but uh, so we'll have to, you know, there'll be the result and then two months later, we'll know what it means, but that'll still, if Washington can go in there and beat Michigan before, you know, if there's improvement on the way for for the Wolverines, maybe they haven't figured it all out yet, Washington sneaks in and wins. That's, it's silly to, to, to say that that would completely change perceptions of the Pac-12, especially since people don't like Michigan all that much. But it, it would, I think, help a lot. Uh, you know, it would, it would certainly improve perceptions in that regard. USC, who does USC have? I'm, uh, oh, they, well, Notre Dame, of course. Uh, they got BYU, I guess, but they don't have a, an early P5 game. So we'll see what people think of that. But yeah, Washington, Michigan might be the most important game on the schedule in that regard. Or at least, you know, Oregon can't lose to Ohio State by 45. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and and it's a good year really for USC to not have that extra P five game. USC often, you know, will will run into an Alabama like they could have last year when they already have Notre Dame on the schedule. You know, BYU will I'm sure take a pretty significant step back with Zach Wilson and several other really good players gone. Yeah. Um you, you also talk about right, the the extent to which this what we saw last year in these short seasons matter. Mm-hmm. Now right. I think throughout all of college football, there's a little bit of how much did what I watched last year was, how much of what I watched last year was real. Now, I I believe at the very top, especially with Alabama and these monster programs, but even if you look at a, 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 you know, an SEC school like LSU, like how much do I draw a conclusion on the state of that program off of a bad year during a pandemic? But they also finish very well. I think there's even more uncertainty the fewer games you play. I was talking with a Mountain West coach and sort of said to them, like, how much did you 
learn about your players last year through such an odd season. And and this is a team that ended, I think ended up playing six games with a, with a few interruptions. And this coach basically said, listen, I think the thing I learned about most of all was more character and things along those lines, because I saw my kids stay together and go through some tough times and blah. But I, I think he even acknowledged like from the product on the field, not having a true off season and all those things that he's still a little up in the air on how much, talent he has to work oh, with yeah. and what the skill sets are and i think for the for the teams that played shorter seasons in the pac-12 I've, i found myself watching pac-12 games last year thinking like i don't know if anything what what of any of this stuff actually means i really <laughs> don't know if any of this stuff is meaningful so i guess we'll find out yeah i think um yeah i mean obviously like i i, I changed as little as possible about how i did these projections because i know that every time i tinkered with numbers last fall like i you know because everything was so different i'm like oh well maybe this needs to carry more weight or maybe i need to change home field or whatever every time i tinkered it it just made things worse so i i kind of avoided doing that and i'm using the same returning production formula and everything else the one change i made was like scaling everybody to as if they played 12 games. So like when Charlie Brewer joins Utah with his tw- with his 10 game Baylor stats or whatever, it's not like Utah suddenly returns 300% of their passing yards, right? Like it's mm. I tried to scale everybody to where it was the same, but otherwise I just I I just, you know, sent the boat out into the water like I normally would and and we'll see exactly what it means that Washington returns all of its production from a four game season. Like, it's hard for me to guess what that means. I mean, I, I know what we saw. Like, I love lots of their defensive players. They look like just the eye test said that this is a good defense uh, and it'll probably be an even better defense next year. Uh, Oregon, you know, they were able to, they, they lost to Iowa State, you know, a full season Iowa State team. It was a weird game where their stats were kind of pretty good compared to Iowa State, but they, you know, made some mistakes, which, Maybe that had to do with them having played fewer games. Who knows? But um, just physically, they looked like a similar football team. So maybe that's a good sign. But um, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> after coming off of the strangest uh, reality bending season that we've seen. We don't really know what that means moving forward. Yeah, and the, the other three teams that I have here listed on the the SP plus loves humans don't love quite as much uh, <laughs> Wisconsin, Penn State. Michigan, which is in the top, again, another one that you're going to, I'm sure you've heard about, Bill. Uh, Michigan, which is in the top 25, um, within SP plus, but not at all within the early rankings. Yeah. I, I am definitely kind of down on the idea that Penn State should bounce back. Penn State was weird last year. I mean, that was, that was a strange, strange season to lose the games that they lost. And, you know, I think they do have to some work to do at quarterback with Sean Clifford. But, uh, my suspicion is that like, if I was looking at, I don't know what the odds were, but if I'm looking at like sort of a bounce back, I'm thinking like Penn state could be an undervalued team coming into 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, all three of those are big 10 teams, but they are all SP plus likes them for all, all for different reasons. Um, you know, starting with Wisconsin, for instance, I'll end with Penn state, but starting with Wisconsin, they played seven games. They scored over 40 points, three times. They scored under 10 points, three times. And so, 
Like, you know, we know the defense is dynamite. Like, it's going to be really hard for them to not feel the tremendous defense. They usually do, and it's going to be experienced, and it was good last year. So that's we, we know that. That's a known entity. They're probably a top 15 team because of that. But what in the world do you make of the offense? Like, they finished 43rd in offensive SP Plus last year. Uh, but they were either a top 20 team or a bottom 20 team the whole year. And and so uh, coming to figure out what they've got at the running back position, coming to figure out like what like the baseline averages for Graham Mertz when these results were so extreme, it's kind of impossible. So I, I you know, SP plus has the ninth, I would say more like top 15 or so just because of the unknowns there. But I understand why they ended up ninth. They're, they're usually top 15 and, you know, again, returning production is pretty, uh, pretty kind to them. So that's one thing. Michigan, um, I basically benefited in the end from having only played six games because they were preseason. They were ninth after the first game. After they looked really good against Minnesota, they jumped to ninth in SP+. Five games later, they were 41st. Um, once I kind of did some, you know, changed the weight, I got a chance to tinker a little bit more. I changed the weighting a little bit. They ended up 33rd, which was, you know, good improvement. They improved eight spots without playing, but um you know, in the end, the only reason they were in the 30s as opposed to the 50s or 60s is they only played six games. So those preseason ratings, you know, carried them to a certain degree. Because that's one thing about my system is like priors are pretty heavy. It takes most of the year for them to get cycled all the way up. You use priors and it makes your numbers more accurate. That's why I do it. But in this case, when you only played six games, they were you're, they were propped up by preseason projections. They probably should have fallen further, and they might have had they played more. So that's kind of a weird situation. And you know, they do, you know, they do return. Uh, well, we'll see who they have at quarterback by the end of the offseason, I guess. But most of their other production is back, like in terms of the skill core. But they have a lot of turnover to deal with. They're basically being propped up in the ratings because of recruiting rankings and recent history. Like five-year averages, they're still like 11th overall. But mm -hmm. they're clearly trending in the wrong direction. Penn State, though, was just – had had just the oddest season ever for a nine game season. Like two of the, they started off zero and five, but two of the thir the those five losses, they played teams that ended up in the top the SP plus top forty, outgained them by two hundred plus yards and lost. Um, like that's really hard to do. I have a a post game win expectancy number, which basically takes all those predictive aspects of a given game, the things that end up going into SP plus, you tosses them into the air and basically says with the Stats that this game produced, you would have expected to win this game X percent of the time. They lost. They lost to Indiana with a ninety-five percent post-game win expectancy. They lost to Nebraska with an eighty-three percent post-game win expectancy. Um, like that's that's hard to do. <laughs> so uh, on paper, they were more like a five and four or six and three team. That the Michigan State game was actually one of the ones they won was actually a little on the lucky side, but they were still. They should. Like, it took so much random nonsense for them to not be above 500 at the very least. They finished 18th in SP plus with a four and five record. And now they return their quarterback top couple of receivers. Like now they're in pretty good shape. And I, this doesn't factor into SP plus. I really like Mike Yersich. Um, You know, you figure if he doesn't go to Texas last year, it's quite possible he goes to Penn state instead um, last year. And so they picked him up this year. Mike, you're such offenses. They score points, period. They gain yards and they score points. And so you figure if they suddenly can get back up into the top 15 or so on offense, they're probably top 15 on defense as well. And that's a top 10 team right there. 
Yeah, uh, the, the, you're right. SP Plus does not uh, factor in coaching changes, um, and that'll be right. an interesting uh, part of Michigan's deal. Michigan just brought in yeah. a, uh, a bunch of young guns, a bunch of guys under 40 years old to try to change the project, the trajectory, uh, tr- excuse me, the trajectory of uh, Jim Harbaugh's program, and we'll see how that works out there. So here's what I'm going to do. We, we went through the, the teams that SP Plus likes a little more than the humans. Mm-hmm. I want to take a very quick break and then we'll come back and talk about some of the teams that uh, SP Plus is a little more pessimistic <laughs> than the humans. And there's a couple of very notable teams on here. Uh, talking with Bill Conley from ESPN. We'll be back right after this. Hey, all podcast consumers. Rich Eisen here. So often, aspiration comes from inspiration, with titans of industry being those torchbearers. With guests from the world of news, business, sports, and entertainment, my new show is going to give you their most in-depth first-hand stories that focuses on the humble beginnings and humbling moments that we can relate to in our own lives. The podcast is called Just Getting Started with me, Rich Eisen. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We're back with Bill Conley from ESPN, the mastermind behind SP Plus, the uh, the great ratings uh, projection system that you can find uh, on uh, ESPN Insider if you go if you so choose. Yeah. And I'm sure if you've listened to this show before, you can you've heard Bill and I talking. He is the best. He is the absolute best. So we talked about the teams SP Plus likes more than the humans. At the top of the list for SP Plus is a little more pessimistic than the humans is uh notre dame yeah which is a fun team to talk about always we always have to talk about (laughs) notre dame notre dame on sp plus is coming in at number 25 now again that might be a little updated uh that might that ranking might move a little bit with transfers moving around but at the when you published it was they were they were number Mm -hmm. 25 and the humans while there is some disparity among the humans I think their their rating is ranking is as high as eight and as low as like late. I think it's like late teens if I wrote it down here correctly. A quick glance. Uh, their ra- rankings um, range from eight to fifteen. So, what is Notre Dame? Why is Notre Dame being held back by your numbers? And by the way, I think I'm more leaning toward SP plus that <laughs> Notre Dame. I think is more of a 15 to 20 team this year than a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, first of all, like I, if I'm ranking them personally, I, you know, they're it's, I, I, I probably have them in the teens and, and honestly, mm-hmm. you know, from an SP plus perspective, they haven't ranked lower than 19th in the last since 2014. So that probably, you know, the ceiling's probably a little higher, but a couple of things are, are dragging them down. Number one, uh, you know, as we were talking about earlier, they, they actually have to replace their starting quarterback and almost nobody directly above them does. So that's a huge piece of it right there. Like if everybody else has returned, has experienced a quarterback and you don't, that's going to be a disadvantage for you. The other part is, you know, I mean, Notre Dame fans will just tell you, well, I mean, they're so low because SP Plus hates Notre Dame. They always, it always hates Notre Dame. Well, two things. Uh, I always have 2016 to push back on. We were just talking about Penn State finishing in the teens with a losing record. That 2016 Notre Dame team that went four and eight finished 18th. 
Um, <laughs> they, on, on paper, like they lost every game close on paper. SP plus saw them as more of a seven and five or eight and four team against a good schedule. And so that's what, that will always be my trump card. That alone shows you that it, it, SP plus doesn't hate <laughs> Notre Dame. And the other trump card is last year it loved Notre Dame until the last two games. They were fourth after they walloped Syracuse to, and, and to have that bye week before the, um, ACC title game. They were fourth in SP plus. There was nothing wrong with them. They finished 16th because they got dominated so completely and thoroughly by Clemson and Alabama. They lost by 24 points to Clemson on paper. Um, SP plus saw that as more of like a 36 point loss because just because of the factors, the efficiency factors and everything else, they were lucky to keep that as close as 24. Then against Alabama, I mean, they basically played to only lose by 17 points. Um, their efficiency numbers were terrible. Um, you know, Alabama completely controlled that game. They couldn't name their score sp plus saw that as more of like about a 39 point loss for notre dame on paper the 17 point loss was the very best case scenario they were going to generate from that game so it basically saw those last two games even though they lost to very good teams and said oh well this this team isn't nearly what i thought it was they finished 16th in sp plus so they're only projected to fall nine spots with you know after losing their starting quarterback and some really good defensive players. I again, I would put them in the teens. I think I do still have some questions about their upside. I love the Marcus Freeman hire. Um, he's, I, I think he's absolutely dynamite. Um, I, I think he'll he'll do well in replacing Clark Lee. But uh, they do have some stars to replace in a year when other teams don't. And I do think that's gonna that's gonna make it pretty hard for them, even if they're only a teens team instead of number twenty five. Yeah, it's it's. You know, I almost, in some ways, you know, I almost hesitate to be critical of Notre Dame because that sort of plays into the other side of the Notre Dame argument, which is, oh, they're always overrated, right? I mean, because, because nobody, <laughs> there, there's no center of ground on Notre Dame. They're either, they're right. either <laughs> underrated or overrated. And my sense of them is as great as that program has been over the last four or five years. And Kelly's gotten it to a tremendous place, the healthiest it's been since the Lou Holtz era. They don't recruit quite at the level that Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia now, Clemson, uh, and which is no shame because really nobody recruit, nobody else recruits at that level. Right. So that, that produces a little more volatility. Like they, it, it's, it's a little harder for Notre Dame to just churn out 10, 11 win seasons. So I sort of mentally, you know, jot down for them at some point they're going to have a little bit of a step back here that doesn't mean I'm, I'm expecting them to go six and six or four and eight again but a ball will bounce a, a little differently they'll have a little you know maybe it'll take a couple of weeks for them to break in their new starting quarterback and all of a sudden at the end of the year you're nine and three or if things right. really go poorly you're eight and four like I just think that that's still part of Notre Dame's DNA where you could have a year where you slip back to nine wins. And I look at it this year and think, yeah, maybe that's this year. I, I, I could kind of see it maybe being this year. But listen, Kelly's done a great job. They have recruited really well and they could absolutely prove me wrong. Yeah. And their schedule, by the way, is fascinating. Like they're, you know, using just the win probabilities that come from these SP plus ratings. They're at 68% or higher in each of the first three games. They're 66% or higher in each of the last four. 
But then in between, those, there's a five-game stretch where it's you know 33% against Wisconsin, 44% against Cincinnati. And again, if they're in the teens and not the 20s, then they're slight favorites in that one. But that's what these numbers say. 33%, 44%, 15 against Virginia Tech, 45 against USC, and 40 against North Carolina. Basically, they'll probably be 3-0. They'll probably finish 4-0. And that middle five-game stretch will completely and totally define – whether this is a setback season, whether they, you know, it's a semi disappointing nine and three or whatever, that, that middle stretch is just one potential loss after another. So the other one that you, the numbers SP doesn't, SP plus doesn't necessarily love. And it, it, again, it was everybody's favorite fancy chickens last year. And that's coastal <laughs> Carolina. Now coastal Carolina has a lot of starters coming back. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I didn't, I didn't glance at their returning production. Uh, I know if I, you know, in talking to Jamie Chadwell, he thinks they're primed for another big year, especially with, um, um, with the quarterback coming back. So what do you think factors into coastal being a top 20 team, according to the humans to start next season, about, about 2021 and, mm-hmm. you know, in the thirties, you know, top 40 team, for SP plus, is this just sort of like, well, they're a Sunbelt team and that's sort of the way it goes? Yeah, part of it is um, they ended up returning more guys than I had documented on January 31st or whenever the production, like they ended up with a couple more. So they were 21st in returning production. They'd probably be more like 15th if I ran them again. Um, and I, and then by the way, I will run all this again in August. So that'll all get updated. But um, so yeah, there might be a, a little bit low just because of that. But the other thing is basically, when you don't recruit at a top 20 level, it's just really, it, you know, even when you push a boulder really hard, far up the hill, it, it becomes pretty hard to keep it there. And so basically what SP Plus sees is a team that was 25th last year, very good, um, returns a good solid amount of production, but doesn't have any sort of history of top 25 seasons beyond 2020. And doesn't and I mean is a Sunbelt team and therefore recruits at a top whatever that is 80 or so level um obviously you know they got great Grace McCall is much better than his recruiting ranking They're likely and highly at receiver much better than their recruiting rankings they, they've put together a, a, an overachieving cast but basically what SP plus sees is a team that just it's really really hard to keep to to maintain that level you know maybe your injuries luck is a little worse just all these things that could come up now all this said they're projected 37 though you know that's terrible they're overrated or they're underrated all that they're they're, they're favorite in 11 of 12 games um right. projected favorite buffalo will be interesting at appalachian state will be obviously really hard but otherwise i think even at, as a top 40 team they could be 11 and 1 very easily so it's only which if they're 11 and 1 they're an ap top 25 team and so it's only so Sort of calling them overrated, and in another way, it's saying, "Yeah, they'll be they'll finish where the the voters probably think they will." So right, it it goes back to a thing I like to point out all the time: voting in the whether it's the AP poll or in the poll is sort of a reward system, right? right. It, it's vote you vote votes come in based on results, whereas SP Plus is a forward is yeah, a it's forward a projecting rating. is a power right. rating that that is that is used to project what comes ahead it's a little different right. animal when it comes to this rankings and sp plus uh so that gives you the framework there i'm also of the opinion this is also definitely not scientific um but 
just as you said, it's hard to have a special season two years in a row. Right. At the, at, at, you know, not most programs aren't Alabama and Clemson. They don't just knock out 10, 11 win seasons. Um, so when I see a coastal Carolina, my, my default on them is, a couple of those games that went well last year won't go as well. That's not to say right. they might not win the Sun Belt again or have another very good year and maybe even be in the top 25 or sort of in and out of the top 25. But uh, it's just hard for schools at that level to reproduce these really special seasons. So I would expect Coastal to take a little bit of a step back and we'll see what that step back really looks like. Again, are they yeah. an eight and four, seven and six team uh, or a seven and five team? Or are they, you know, another nine or 10 win team that sort of flirts with the top 25 and, and knocks out another Sun Belt title? We'll see. But I think it's just safe to assume in general, and this goes for Coastal and even a yeah. lot of the teams, and we'll get to one next in the middle tier of the P5. After you've had a special year, it's hard to reproduce that, which leads me perfectly to Indiana. <laughs> Indiana is about 16 spots below uh, S&P compared to the uh, human polls. Human polls have them borderline top 10 going into next season. SP Plus has them a little bit out of the top. Now, again, the numbers, maybe the, the production numbers might change a little bit depending on transfers and things like that. S&P Plus, uh, SP Plus has them out of the top 25. But again, I'm sort of with that because I see an Indiana team that last year won some games that it needed a little good fortune, doesn't recruit at a super high level. I'm not, I like everything that Tom Allen's done there, but I'm going to assume that Indiana is not going to recreate the best season it's had in 40 <laughs> years again. It just, I right. don't think it's logical to think that. No, and I hate it because I like listening to Tom Allen, like it makes you feel really good about putting your life's work into college football, right? You know, those, like he's one of those characters that you just, you wish there was more of. And, you know, interacting with so many Indiana fans on Twitter and whatnot, like it was just a great, it was a great story. It was a great feeling. It was, we need more of those. So I hate turning around and saying, no, well, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, but that's kind of where we are. Like I, I was talking about Penn State earlier with their 95% post-game win expectancy against Indiana. Well, I mean, Indiana had a 5% post-game win expectancy of that game. And um, that's more like a what a top 25 team would do, not a top five team. They basically were right at 24th to 26th all year. Um, they they did as good as they looked late against Ohio State. That was still, you know, 18% post-game win expectancy. The fact that they lost by seven was, was you know, justice. They probably should have lost by more to Ole Miss. Um, you know, for, per, per the stats at least. So yeah, they, they, they were a six and two team. SP plus saw them more as like a four and four, five and three team. And now they return a good amount. They were 24th in returning production. So like, you know, they, they should absolutely maintain something close to a 20, top 25 level again. It's just, yeah, we're, we're talking about a top 25 or 30 level, not a top 10 or whatever their win total had them at. And they're another team that has, a really, really interesting schedule. Like at Iowa early on, we'll learn a heck of a lot then because Iowa could absolutely, their defense was as good as anybody's last year. Um, you know, Cincinnati a couple weeks later, at Penn State a couple weeks after that, like they're going to have every chance to prove that they're capable of another top 10 run. I just don't think they're going to quite do it. Okay. And the last one here, and by the way, I'll, I'll throw this one in there just as an aside with, with, Coastal Liberty is another team that is 
you know, much farther down the SP plus rankings than they are in the, and again, I think it, it sort of speaks to the same. I you don't, you don't necessarily have to go over the reasons why, because you kind of did it with Coastal, but I just wanted to point out like that's just the nature of those of, of group of five teams. They're, they're just not going to get quite the boost in SP plus. And I also think again, this is the non-scientific me. Uh, explanation of it's hard to recreate really special seasons. So I, I think you can probably expect a little bit of a fall off for Liberty. But the last one I wanted to touch on is a team that the humans are expecting a bigger bounce back than the math right now. And it's LSU. And, and that's purely a talent play, right? From a human's perspective, if I'm, if I'm filling out a way too early, I'm just going, well, this team recruits great. I know that there are players at LSU. They had a really bizarre season last year. They'll fix it. But SP Plus is not seeing as much of that. And I assume, it, you know, it's, it's not probably not recruiting rankings and it's certainly not recent history. So SP Plus is obviously picking up not enough production coming back. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Like people seem surprised that LSU wasn't in the top 15 or something. I'm like, really? Did we did we watch the same team last year? Um, <laughs> I, I, LSU is a complete mystery, really, because I mean, number one, Teams that win the national title don't fall to 45th and SP plus the next year. They just don't. And that's where they finished up. Um, you know, they, it's, it's, it's hard to put into words how much your stats are going to be hurt by giving up 44 points to Mississippi State and 45 to Missouri and 48 to Auburn. Um, <laughs> you know, that's just, that, that was terrible. They, they had a very sketchy defense last year. They finished 69th on defense. Their offense obviously, you know, found something late with Boutte that was only going to somewhat show up, but they'll have a, a theoretically a more stable quarterback situation. So that's fine. I mean, you want to, that, like they absolutely could bounce back on that side of the ball, but after so much turnover last year, they have another year with so much turnover. And just as teams that win the title don't fall to 45th, teams that finish 45th don't turn around and compete for the title the next year either. So we're in kind of unfounded territory no matter what. But the you know they are top 30 in returning production, obviously top 10 uh, in recruiting average. Uh, so all these factors suggest they should be a top 25 team again. And they're right there. They're 26th or whatever in SB+. That all makes sense to me. I'm not sure why. Obviously, they could do more. But I'm not sure why we would predict it after what we saw. Like that, even that late season bounce back, they 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 beat a, a solid Ole Miss team by five points at home. And I mean, I say that dismissively. That was maybe my favorite game of the year. Like, so I don't want to. It, it was a lot of fun. But they still only beat a top forty Ole Miss team by five at home. And the Florida game, if if the Indiana Penn State game wasn't like the luckiest most unlikely win of the season, LSU's post game win expectancy in that Florida win was one percent. <laughs> they everything that happened in that game, all the silliness that happened, all the, the the red zone miscues and the thrown shoe and the bomb of a field goal, and then Florida missing a field goal, all those things had to happen. That was the one scenario. That was the you know Doctor Strange holding up one finger, <laughs> right? One, one, like, six, one in sixteen one, billion, right? <laughs> right. That was the one way LSU was going to win that game. That did not prove that they were a, a, a dramatically improved team. Like that, they just they, they improved late, but only only a little. So I do think they're probably getting a bump from that too. With where, where the dad said, yeah, that's not something they were going to count on. They were not better than Florida. So SP plus has no way of, of measuring thrown shoes, nor Correct. Bo Pelini. 
Right, right. Bo Pelini seems to have broken because I think that's a lot of what's coming here too. Is is oh, they got rid of Bo. They replaced that defensive staff. They always have players on that defense. Right. They'll get that fixed. But uh, but again, SP Plus cannot um cannot factor in uh what it means to fire <laughs> Bo Pelini. And and I mean even beyond that, like Derek Stingley never looked like Derek Stingley last year. It's true. If he, Very if he true. Suddenly Very becomes true. if he suddenly becomes late twenty nineteen Derek Stingley again, then that's that that's a ten point bump right there probably so yeah that, it's it's obvious I, I think it's very clear they're going to improve i'm just hesitant if we start talking about them as like a top 10 team or something bill conley is uh, 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 blah, 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 three two one <laughs> Bill Connolly is from ESPN. You can find his great work, SP Plus, uh, on ESPN Insider. Uh, he also does a lot of soccer stuff, uh, yeah. which I don't get into quite as much, but I know that you're, you're big <laughs> on soccer. You're big on tennis. You are probably really enjoying this FCS season, oh, um, this strange FCS season, because that is absolutely your type of thing. I think you could eliminate FBS football and Bill <laughs> would still be just as happy with college football and just delving deep into division two three and fcs so i hope you're enjoying what is a what is a busy time of the year for you even though normally uh, it would be a little less busy <laughs> yeah i know it's man just sitting back and watching fcs football last weekend was so much more relaxing than i thought when you're not when you're not dealing with politics or any of the other things you're just watching football oh it was great i'm looking forward to this spring Excellent. Well, we'll catch up with you later down the road. I always like catching up with Bill Connolly. Thanks again so much, Bill, for, for taking the time and running through SP Plus with us. Thank you. And now, three and out. First down. Earlier this week, Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick made some news when he released a statement saying that the Fighting Irish will not be part of a rebooted college football video game from EA Sports if the players are not compensated in some way, shape, or form for use of their names, images, and likenesses in the game. What exactly the news was in that statement was a little hard to pin down. The game is about two years away from being released, though the company has said it's beginning work on it. Also, currently, there are no rules regarding NIL in college sports. The NCAA got bogged down by a curious Department of Justice, a handful of proposed federal laws related to NIL and college athletics are nothing more than proposals at this point. There are some state laws that are scheduled to go into effect this summer, but there is also an NCAA case that will go before the Supreme Court in about a month or so that could make all this other stuff move. So what's Notre Dame's angle here? I'm scheduled to speak with Swarbrick early next week so he can elaborate. But a fair reading of the situation is this is an influential AD at a powerful school establishing a position on group licensing, which would be necessary from a practical standpoint if the players want a piece of the video game pie. Group licensing tends to get done in professional leagues through players unions. The NFLPA has said it would like its group licensing arm to help college players cut deals. Proposed NCAA rules wouldn't specifically stop the players, college players that is, from making group licensing deals, but they would put up a barrier between the schools and the players to prevent a financial agreement involving both. Other ADs, including North Carolina's Bubba Cunningham, has, have suggested the NCAA got it backwards. Cunningham believes the NCAA should allow group licensing with the schools involved but be more restrictive about letting third parties pay the players for endorsements. 
Not sure if Swarbrick's stance matches Cunningham's exactly, but his statement is an acknowledgement that the power of the school's brand plus the player's individual brands has the potential to be good for both sides. At the very least, Swarbrick seems to be signaling that he doesn't want the NCAA standing in the way of a group licensing deal that could involve both players and schools, but would not result in players being paid directly by the schools. I know that's a lot, but you got all that? Second down, some transfer portal updates. Oregon quarterback Tyler Shuck is headed to Texas Tech, where it looks as if he's got a pretty good path to a starting job. Uh, plus, Sonny Cumbie arrives at, as offensive coordinator for the Red Raiders after some time at TCU. He'll will attempt to boost an offense that hasn't been what fans in Lubbock have grown accustomed to uh, during their first two seasons under Matt Wells. Former Tech starter, the off-injured Alan Bowman, is in the portal, and the Red Raiders' presumptive QB1 was Henry Columby, a transfer from Utah State where he initially signed with Wells. Auburn had a nice pickup, landing former West Virginia quarterback Drayshon Miller. That's a player very likely to be an NFL draft pick in 2022, maybe even an early rounder. Former Nebraska quarterback Luke McCaffrey is heading to Louisville. That was an interesting spot because Louisville has a two-year starter in Malik Cunningham on the roster. Cunningham came into last season with some star potential after a promising freshman year, but like Louisville in general, had a disappointing season. That could be an interesting competition. I know coaches talk a lot about the importance of building depth and how they would never guarantee a player transferring in a starting spot. That's all true. But if a coaching staff is really comfortable with its starter, it's not bringing in a player like McCaffrey with three years of eligibility left, a four-star pedigree type player, just to fill out the back end of the depth chart. One more thing to keep in mind, Shuck is a grad transfer, so he's immediately eligible to play. Same goes with Miller. McCaffrey is among the many players hoping to be immediately eligible this season. The NCAA was heading toward changing its transfer rules to give every athlete a one-time exception, allowing them to play immediately instead of sitting out. That got put on hold by the DOJ's letter to the NCAA. But from what I've heard, the feeling is that should be separated out from NIL at some point and get done before the summer. Third down. Last time I used third down to mention this, but we want you to be part of the show. If you have questions that you'd like me or my guests to answer, email them to AP Top 25 Mailbag. That's AP, the number's 25 mailbag at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you on all topics college football, serious or silly. That's AP Top 25 Mailbag at gmail.com. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Sarah McCrory, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Westwood One Podcast. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.